Halloween night. A small American town, 15 years ago. trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just Sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have a Halloween. <laughs> okay, Linda. Come on out. first episode of my very first uh, podcast small town horror and uh, this is all about horror movies uh, each week each every other week we're going to be doing reviews of horror movies uh, possibly even horror tv shows like ash versus evil dead adam's family etc but today our episode is going to be the original 1978 halloween written and directed none other than John Carpenter. And my guest with me today is my good buddy, Randy. Hello, spooksters. <laughs> so we're going to get into this episode. Uh, Halloween has always been my favorite by far. Michael Myers, the character, and the original Halloween has been, is my favorite all-time horror movie. It's like the ultimate classic as far as movies go in general. Exactly. Every, I mean... And, you know, actually, when I went back and watched this, it's actually, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's been, what, 40-plus years made? Yeah, really, really, the only way you can tell it is such an old movie is just the style and the fashion sense of the movie in general. I mean, right. other than that, it's it's pretty on point with with quality movies. It's exactly. Movies. There's nothing cheesy, like, real cheesy about it or nothing where, you know, you can go back and watch some movies and be like, wow, they really advanced the more yeah, they yeah. went. But this one set the bar. Yeah, for sure. And, uh... But anyway, like I said, um, 
we're gonna start off talking about Halloween and it was directed and written by John Carpenter and produced by Deborah Hill and believe it or not this was supposed to be just a it was just a low-budget horror film uh, they never really thought it would turn out the way it did and it got great success and great reviews when it come out in theaters yeah it's it's one of those movies where it, it really like like you were saying a while ago, it kind of sets the bar as far as where horror movies were going. Not just horror movies in general, but the slasher genre. It it, it kind of started really, if you ask me, the the slasher genre. Now, if you you go back to like American Psycho and stuff like that, but this like I mean, you have the ultimate villain as far as horror movie type goes. This this is like the ultimate horror slasher movie. Right. You know, in nineteen seventy four is when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. And that was a movie like no one had ever seen. And even though that, that is one of the, you know, in my opinions, and a lot of, it's a cult classic, of course, but it is such a great film, I still feel like Halloween set the bar. But, uh, yeah, I'll agree with that one for sure. But uh, to get into the movie, uh, we got, of course, Donald Pleasance. He plays Dr. Loomis. And that is by far my favorite character of any of the Halloween films. Uh, his character really sticks out to me because he's almost as crazy as Michael Myers if, at certain points. Well, yeah, there were, there were parts of it where I would watch him and he would make a... He, it was like almost he had like specific cameos when he came into the movie itself and he was just like, hey, don't forget about me because I'm like... I'm the main guy. I'm I'm the guy that's trying to find this guy. But it was just like when his character popped up, it was like... It was almost like every time... He showed on screen it was them tying the plots together completely between his past when he was in the hospital and then when he got out and then as he's trying to find them and then don't not gonna spoil the end just yet but at the very end the ultimate finding um, yeah but it was like every time he came on the screen it was just them tying the movie together from the beginning to the middle to the end right and that's and he always had one liners but they were like very you know just like deep and creepy you know and he was just like talking about his eyes he's got the blackest eyes the devil's eyes yeah. you know it was he delivered it so good donald pleasance is just a great actor well see and it was like he, he was talking about the the great one-liners it was almost to the point where it was the way he would say it would be a cheesy way of saying it mm. but it just fit it was like perfect right i mean honestly to me the movie's Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis is the main character, I guess, but to me, it's really about a doctor searching for his patient. Yeah. And, uh, but speaking of that, and first off, I don't even know if I said this, but I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Johnny Reyes, and I'll be the one hosting the uh, podcast, I guess you could say. And oh, yeah. like I said, Randy, Randy Howard, uh, he'll be on here quite a bit, trust me. And I got Ooh. a few other buddies that may want to join in every once in a while. But uh, any excuse I get to watch a horror movie, I'm down for 100%. Right on. So this is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, film debut, her first ever film, and she plays Laurie Strode. Then we got P.J. Souls as Linda, and I th I'm gonna butcher her last name. I think it's it's Nancy Keys, I believe, or Kios or something. She plays Annie, and then Nick Castle is in the credits as the Shape, which is Michael Myers. But I guess we can go ahead. Oh, and this is a spoiler alert. If you don't know anything about this film, I don't know if you've been hiding underneath a rock for the last 40 years, but we're going to go into detail. So, oh, yeah, for sure. 
so the plot of the movie is uh, little Michael Myers uh, in 1963 watches his uh, sister from outside of the house he stalks her and when the boyfriend leaves he butchers her and now he's been sent off to an asylum uh, Smith's Grove and now it's 15 years later and Dr. Loomis and the nurse is going, I don't know, I think they're transporting them somewhere, I believe, correct? Uh, they were actually on their way to the hospital. I think they were going to do an interview. I think mm-hmm. it was the basics of it. They were you know, driving in the rain. And then uh, whenever they were pulling up to the fence, they noticed that there were people just kind of mulling about. Right. And then after he got out to go up to the gate, she, uh, Michael jumped on top of the, the thing, tried to choke out the nurse, and, right. then, and then took the car. So he escapes and he goes back to Haddonfield to his old house and now the house is up for sale and the Strodes own it. This is where Lori Strode comes in and now he is stalking her and her friends. He's pretty much just going after babysitters it seems like almost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's where a lot of the babysitting murders started happening, you know, and that's when it really got into the horror film genre, but... Make a long story short, that's the plot of the movie, and the doctor, Loomis, is searching for Michael Myers the entire movie. And the sheriff's out looking for him, Sheriff Brackett. So, we're going to go ahead and get into the movie now, and uh, the first thing i got to say about it is this movie, as soon as it starts, it just picks up. And what I mean by that is the score, the music. Yeah, for sure. And the, we all know the music was by John Carpenter. Yeah, the the opening, it just, there's really no other way. Because there's a lot of movies nowadays that'll just open up kind of somber before they actually get into, like, I guess you could say, like, the meat and potato song of the, the whole movie. <clears throat> but this one started it off right with the piano. Right. And it was really cool because in the very beginning when they have the jack-o'-lantern and it's just flashing and it has the opening credits running through and the music's going behind it. The jack o' lantern is almost like the light inside of it is flickering with the beat. Right. Like with the with the piano itself, it's just like it's like on key all the time. It's almost perfect. And I couldn't imagine going to see this movie for the first time and that just dun dun dun, dun you oh, know, just man. hitting. But I mean, to, and to me, and again, I know I've said it, you know, that this is my favorite horror movie. But everything about the music, every scene, is just the bomb to me. It's just it's got that great slasher five. A uh, vibe, I mean, but uh, like I said, the score is amazing, and uh, we get it, we get onto it, and get into the movie. And of course, it's uh, little Michael Myers, you're seeing everything from his view. You know, there's one thing I gotta point out uh, he's watching his sister Judith and her boyfriend make out, and uh, they go upstairs for some loving. Uh-huh. That was an awfully quick love making, wasn't it? You know, I was sitting there thinking I had to I had to go back and, and rewind that whole scene where they run upstairs and then it, it didn't take him very long because all he had had time to do was walk around to the kitchen, grab the knife, walk through the dining room, and old dude was headed right out the door. It was it was pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, like of course these are like teenagers though, so what do you expect? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's another thing too. We always got to remember that. But uh, I I do like the idea though that we're seeing it through his eyes, and then when he goes up the stairs and he sees that mask. His arm looks so creepy, his hand grabbing that mask. and You know, I, I there's another great horror movie that I love, Puppet Masters, and that's what it reminded me of. His hand just looked like just a little puppet hand just mm-hmm. going down to get the mask. And then even while he's, you know, 
getting his, uh, doing his work in on his sister, his hand just looked, it looked weird, but then again, it was a child's hand for one. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and of course he goes in and it just kills me because she knows Michael, little Michael's around and she's just sitting there naked. Yeah. Just, you know? and that's what, what's one of the things that I always thought was weird <coughs> when I was watching the movie the whole time was there were, there were just scenes of people just walking around without even, even no shirt on, no pants on or something. I was like, these kids just walk around the whole neighborhood naked all the time. Maybe. I mean, you never know. But I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm a teenage girl babysitting my younger brother, I, I don't think I'd be sitting in a room topless. Right, you know? right. But, you know, she notices Michael, she covers herself, and then it starts going. The music, of course, is mm-hmm. it's great. It, you know, and he's, he's going to town. But it kills me because he looks over... The camera pans over to, and I know what it's doing. It's showing people what he's doing with the knife. Yeah. But just the thought of little Michael turning, looking at his own hand, going back and forth. Yeah, and that's what I thought was weird too when I was watching, and I was like, he's got some really good hand-eye coordination if he's able to land these blows, not looking at his target. Right. And it's just a little kid. But one thing I did notice was, and and I kind of liked it the more I watched the movie, the more I actually realized it is, it really set the premise of Michael Myers's like viewpoint of it mm-hmm. from the breathing as the kid. Yes. Like yes. breathing behind the mask kind of set that, that notion for the rest of the movie. Like this is Mike, this is his talking, you know, right. because he doesn't say anything for the whole movie. And really the only voice you get of Michael Myers is his breathing. Right. So they really set that from the beginning. Like, look, this is all you're getting, mm-hmm. you know, get used to it. Cause <laughs> you know, that's the rest of the movie. But that makes it so much more creepier too. Cause everybody knows if you wore a mask, like any mask, Oh yeah. That's what you hear the entire time you're in there. Right. Um, but anyway, Judith falls over. She's dead. And Michael goes down the steps and goes out in the front yard. And his parents just happen to show up. Mm-hmm. And this killed me because, you know, they're like Michael. And they take his mask off and it reveals what Michael, you know, what he looks like. But the mom blew my mind. I don't know if you picked up on this, but the dad takes the mask off. Now, if you saw your son... And I know we're just nitpicking, but I mean, hey, this is, like I said, this is what it's about. The, uh, the dad takes the mask off and he's, and you know, he's looking at Michael. The mom just simply puts her hands in her pockets. Like, she didn't know what to do. And I'm just like. Well, see, I noticed the look on her face. It was just, it, it was almost like that, oh, Michael. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't, it, it, she really didn't look shocked. Right. It's almost like she had expected it to happen or it was like, well, yeah, this happened. Finally happened. You know, and his dad looked more terrified than he did or that she did. Right. And it was, yeah, it was really weird. But she was just kind of, she was just, I expected her to, you know, grab a cigarette and start smoking it or something like that. She was like, well, yeah, that's a thing. Well, he did it again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But so then, you know, it fades to black and now it's 15 years later and uh, Dr. Loomis, and we're not going to go through the movie scene by scene because that would take forever. Yeah. But Dr. Loomis and the nurse are going to pick him up as we discussed earlier. And like I said, now we see all the people running loose. And that's, that is just a creepy shot in general. Like if you're going up to a mental hospital and it's thunder, lightning, pouring rain, and you just see all these white suits around, that's creepy. Yeah. And was, Dr. Loomis didn't hesitate. Boom, he gets out of the car and takes off. Yeah, it was really weird. It was just like there was these ghosts behind this little chain link fence. and. Right. Yeah, it was really in 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 the rain of all things too. Michael uh, steals the car, and I hate everybody goes. Well, who taught him to drive? You know, it's like even they even say something to Doctor Loomis, and Doctor Loomis is uh, later on. He's like, uh, 
well, maybe I, maybe somebody here uh, showed them or something. You know, it, it was it was one of those things like I had noticed too, and I and I had thought about when I was watching it. I was like, you know, for somebody that's been locked up in a mental institution, he knows the the laws of the road really well. <laughs> you know, because he was breaking and stopping, and then it was just like. You know, it, it was it was a question that I had too, just from a again nitpicky point. Right. But we're gonna go ahead and now we're gonna skip forward. Now it's Halloween and it's in Haddonfield, and uh, we see Laurie Strode and she's dropping. Is it the mail off or something? She's dropping something off at Myers house. She had to drop the key off. Under key the door off. Yeah. That's it. And uh, little Tommy Doyle is the kid she's gonna be babysitting. He runs up and he's talking about you know that's you can't go there. It's the boogeyman's yeah. house and. I love that when she goes up the steps to put the key under the mat or whatever she's doing, you hear, oh, yeah. you know, he's done got the mask, he's got the jumpsuit, he's uh-huh. already watching. And uh, I don't know, to me, it was just, it's brilliant basing this around Halloween because, you know, any other time you see a guy just standing out in the, I mean, it's broad daylight. And to me, that's what even makes it more creepy. If you look at, like, Jason and all that stuff, uh, it's more nighttime. Uh-huh. Michael Myers is just... I, I don't care. It's broad daylight, and he's going to walk around in a mask. Well, yeah, that was the thing I, it was, I thought was kind of, it was almost comical about it is the only reason this guy driving the station wagon up and down the road and during the middle of the day in a mask could get away with it is because it was Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if this had been any other old Tuesday or whatever, he'd just be, people would be looking at him like it was weird. But since it was Halloween, it, it I think people just kind of let it go. Uh, the... Um... One of my favorite scenes in there is the bullies where they're following little Tommy and he's got the big pumpkin, you know, and they're like, he's going to get you. He's going to get you. And, uh, you know, they trip him. Boom. He falls and uh, the pumpkin splits open. And I uh, I think it's Lonnie is the the bully's name. He takes off and he jumps down the little steps and runs right into Michael Myers. And I mean, as soon as he hits that music, and... I don't know. To me, that is such a great little scene. And now he's just, you know, now Michael's stalking Tommy. Well, see, and, and for me, what I really like the most about that is a lot of a lot of horror movies today, they want to pan the bad guy off as this ultimate superhuman villain, and he's just like this statuesque figure that's just there, there. And the thing that I noticed the most probably about Michael in this whole movie is he, he had a real human quality feel to him. Like, mm-hmm. just when he caught the kid jumping off of the stairs, he just looked like a guy catching a kid coming off the stairs. You're like, hey, whoa, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was really, it was almost weird in a sense because you think of Michael Myers, the ultimate, one of the ultimate movie villains, you know. It was just crazy to just see him act human. Right. Because I mean, it, it's one of the things that's it's hard to grasp sometimes. Is this this guy just straight out of the Saint Asylum? Mm-hmm. It's not like some ultimate movie monster like you know Jason or something like that that comes back from the dead and all right. this kind of stuff. It's a, it's a just a guy. And there's never really a reason why, in this one at least, that they explain why he's going after Laurie Strode. Yeah, I I think it might have been. I don't know, an, like an, an opportunity thing where she was at his house. She was like the first person that he seen, maybe. Right, because, yeah, I mean, it, it, what if somebody else would have dropped the key off, you know? And yeah. he saw Tommy with her, so, you know. Um, yeah, and then, you know, we go to the school, which another thing is I love where Lori Strode is sitting in the back of the class. She looks out the window, and there's just a dude just standing there. like, And he was not shy about showing his... His mask. No. I hate in horror movies, like certain ones where all you ever see is like, like, okay, let's just Friday 13th, you know, part two when it, you know it's Jason. Yeah. 
Yeah. But all it is is his arm coming into the shot. Right. This one was like, no, screw that. We're going to show the mask. Which did you know? Uh, I'm sure a lot of diehard fans know, but Randy, do you know what mask that is? It's actually a William Shatner's face. Yes. And I, uh, it, it, still to this day, every time I see that mask, I can't see Shatner's face. Right. I, I, I can't because, and I think the thing about it was when they went, when they went and got the mask, they put different hair on it completely. I think is what it was. They took his face and then they switched out the hair and then they bleached it and bleached the mask or something. Mm. But every time I see that face, I, I can't see Shatner's face. Now they. Uh... Uh, Trick or Treat Studios uh, has now released a Michael Myers mask, but it's William Shatner's. And if you look at it now, you can tell. You can tell. Because they even explained that they had to cut the eyes out a little bit bigger. Really? So they changed the features of it a yeah, little yeah. bit. But uh, I just think that's so neat that it was a William Shatner mask. Well, yeah. I think the whole premise behind it, because I remember watching a documentary before on it, and uh, they said they were trying to come up with some kind of mask, and, and they told one of the uh, the costume designers, this is, go pick something out. Mm-hmm. And he said he went to the store, and he he just seen this Shatner mask, and he was like, this will work. And he they brought it back. I think they cut the hair off of it. They put different hair on it. They they bleached it or painted it or something. And and like I said, I can't I couldn't I can't look at it now and see Shatner's face. You know, right. it's just it's Michael Myers. And that and with it just having just a no expression, yeah, it makes it even more creepy. Yeah, I mean, what do you think Shatner's face is pretty expressionless half the time? He's, Shatner gets all his vocal tones into it. That's where he gets his expressions from. The uh, Now, we go to the school, and uh, it's... Uh, let me let me see. It's Lori, Linda, and uh, Annie, Annie all walking Annie. down. And I have to say, I didn't realize how annoying Annie is. Like, she, she complained the whole movie and just... Like, I don't know, man. She just really hit me where I was like, goodness gracious, hurry up and get her, you know? Like, but to me, it was like, Annie was like, as soon as she popped up, he's like, yeah, she's going to be the first one to go. Because she seemed like, you know, for the lack of a better term, she seemed like the small town hoe, you know? It was mm-hmm. just like, you know, the horror movie cliches, you know, the, the, the slutty one is the first to go half the time. And then, you know, just like, and I know girls like her and women, whatever you want to call them now, but like when Michael Meyer drives by, She's like, hey, jerk, speed yeah, yeah. kills, and he slams on his brakes. You know, she, yeah. I know people like that that'll just pop off at the mouth and it can get yourself hurt, oh, yeah. you know, and stuff. But yeah, it almost makes you wonder whether or not that was the reason a Mike took her first. <laughs> Maybe. It's because it's like he walked into the house and was like, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it's your, yeah, it's your time. <laughs> um, okay, another thing is, of course, the famous shot where he's watching her from behind the bush and he's looking through her purse or her no, backpack, I'm sorry. And then Lori's like, hey, there, you know, that man that you yelled at's behind the bush. Yeah. Okay. And he goes over there, and you know she's like, "Hey, come on." Nobody's there, and she's like, "Lori, dear, uh, this guy wants to talk to he you. Wants he to wants take to take you out yeah. or something." Yeah. Did you see the smoke? I don't remember seeing any smoke. Here's a behind the scenes thing. As soon as it cuts to Annie, and she says, uh, "He wants to ask you out on a date or whatever," however he words it. Um, <laughs> John Carpenter was smoking a cigarette or a cigar, and he blew the smoke, and you can see the ring come right at Annie's face, and they didn't realize it, but it stayed in the shot. Really? Yeah. I did not realize that. I didn't recognize it. So now, every time I watch that stinking part, I'm like, oh, there's a smoke ring. (laughs) But yeah, look for that. That's a little Easter egg. It's funny. Um, And then something else I noticed, because we have that in our town, too, sometimes, is how early people's trick-or-treating. Yeah, like as soon as like, school's over. It's like 4 o'clock. Yeah, like, like yeah. Lori goes to her house. She runs in Sheriff Brackett, which is Annie's dad. Right. She goes to her house, and she's already watching trick-or-treaters go out. And I'm like, 
Wow. Where, where, where is... Okay, I know we said it was Haddon, Haddonfield. Haddonfield, Illinois. Haddonfield, Illinois. Okay. So, I don't know much about Illinois, but I noticed in October, none of the leaves seemed to be changing colors. <laughs> it was like, like they were walking down the road, and then the trees that were like right alongside were just as green as they could be. I mean, you had the, the conifer trees, obviously, right. and stuff like that, but... Those trees that had the leafy greens that should have been turning the you know the shades of yellow and red and, and, and orange, it, they were as green as could be. So I don't know if they meant to do that or if it was supposed to be at a different, you know, I don't know, different climate. It was just, I don't know. It has a little budget too. So they probably well, yeah, didn't yeah, film it around yeah. um, Okay, so we'll get back there. We're going to skip a little into the movie. And another note that I took was the tombstone. They're going to look for Judith's. Dr. Loomis knew. That was a small grave. That was a small grave. And then that, that tombstone. It was huge. And I'm like, that dude has to be strong to be carrying a tombstone. Well, around. I mean, it's not only that. It's just like, you, you see the grave. That's the first thing I thought. The, what, well, the first thing I thought when they were walking to try to find the grave was how unkept the graveyard was. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. I know this is back in the seventies and stuff, but nobody was mowing the grass. No, it looked like no flowers were put out. But then they got up to the grave, and it was like a child-sized grave. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like some teenager. You know, it it was a child-sized shoebox-looking grave. And then the tombstone, which you don't see until the very end of the movie. Was this huge, almost like three to three <laughs> tombstone that looked like it weighed nine hundred pounds? Right. And uh, there was something you pointed out. Uh, you want to share? You said something about because now we're to where um, Lori's home. She sees Michael watching him or watching her. I mean, right behind the clothes. Well, then she talks to Annie, and Annie says, "I'll be there whatever time to pick you up." And you said she's walking down the sidewalk with. The pumpkins. Yeah, it's um before they ever before she ever picks her up, and Lori just leaves her house and she's carrying the pumpkin that she's wanting to have Tommy carve. And as she's walking down the sidewalk, if you look on the curb, it looks like it just looks like some kind of dirt or something. But it almost looks like if you take a dirty sidewalk and you spray it with a pressure washer, mm-hmm. how it kind of makes the dark tones against the light tones of the right. of the dirt but if you look on the curb itself it almost looks like somebody has sprayed or not really carved but just kind of painted evil on the curb it's really hard to make out and it doesn't really look like but you can see an e a v and an l it looks like evil hmm. is on the curb it's it's really weird looking now you must have really been looking because I, 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 I was i, I was, have to go back and look i just it, it, it kind of caught my eye when i was just seeing her walk down the road and and i seen that that on the curve I just thought it was really weird now I've seen this movie a million times it's a tradition in our house on Halloween we watch Halloween mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of cheated this year because I wanted to start the podcast off since we were starting it off in October I thought it'd be great to do Halloween right and uh, I did not really ever put two and two together but Annie comes picks up Lori they're riding and that's when they're smoking the pot and they're mm-hmm. talking you know about Ben Tramer and all this did you notice what's playing on the radio? Uh, was it the Mamas and the Papas, was it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Fear the, don't Fear the Reaper. And the entire time that song's playing, Michael Myers is right behind him in the car, stalking him. Yeah, yeah. I've I seen his, him pull up in that station wagon. Yeah. I never in, really paid attention. But I just thought that was so cool. Don't fear the reaper. Yeah. And he's right behind and him the whole time. right behind him, yeah. Yeah. And there's little stuff like that. Like, there's one part. Well, it's when, uh, we'll go back real quick, where Michael comes out of the house and Lori's walking down the sidewalk. Yeah. 
she's singing a song and she's like, uh, just the two of us, we belong together. I mean, it's just the way the words. I'm like, well, and that's kind of where he picks. Pick, they pick back up on Michael's breathing too, mm-hmm. where he's you know it's like she's singing and he's doing his version of talking, which right. is just the breathing behind it's a the duet, mask. man. So there's it's almost like a poetic. They're talking to each other, and it, and of course the classic after they talked to um, Annie's dad, Sheriff Brackett, Dr. which. That guy made an impression to me when he first showed up because it was kind of weird because you see a horror movie or some kind of slasher movie or something like that. It's one thing I've noticed is that the killer mm-hmm. always makes some kind of surprise. Oh, hey, look at me entrance. Right. And when she ran into bracket, that's what I got off of it. Mm-hmm. Like when he just popped up, it was like, oh, ho, hey, hey, Lori, come. You right. Know, I was like, okay, that's how killers show up. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of weird. I was like... <laughs> I feel like I feel like that was stolen from Michael. I I, I don't he didn't get that shocking right, you know right. intro that a bracket took that. And of course, then after they could talk to uh, Annie's dad, Sheriff Bracket, Loomis comes up says, "Hey, I need to talk to you." He says, "Yeah, give me ten minutes." And then the classic, there's Mike Myers driving right past him, and, it, and as soon as he gets on the left hand side of Loomis, Loomis turns and looks the other way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, of course, that's always a great shot. I love that. Uh, let me see here. We're gonna go ahead and now it's it's Halloween night. Annie's going to babysit Lindsay. Three houses down, Lori. She's babysitting Tommy. And uh, the first victim. Yes, Annie. I'll let you talk about that for a minute. Oh man, Annie. Woo. Annie was a product of her lustful nature. She was all about trying to get Paul into that house. Trying to go pick them up, she took. She ends. She ends up taking Lindsay over to to uh, where Tommy and Lori are, right? Just so she can get uh, get in the car and go get Paul. Which was uh, it was kind of her teenage hormones that kind of took over. Yeah, she's she a horrible babysitter. Oh, she was terrible. And Lindsay like didn't pay attention to nothing. No, like, she was just like mine was gone. She's watching these movies. Well, see, and that's another thing that I noticed when they were in when she was in the kitchen and she was on the phone with Lori uh, talking about Annie, and the dog was in the kitchen barking. I was like, that is the weirdest German Shepherd bark I've ever heard in my mm-hmm. life. It, it just you could tell it was a pre-recorded bark, clearly. And he's not even looking at uh, Annie. Yeah, he's he was looking, looking away. Yeah, up and down the kitchen. It was really weird. But then it was like, and it's it, another thing that kind of what we talked about before how nonchalantly she just took all of her clothes off right she's sitting there babysitting and she just takes all her clothes off to change she just puts her shirt on she's walking around with no pants and these tall socks on so she whines about uh oh what's her name uh totally the one always says totally oh uh, linda linda yeah she she whines to linda and Lori about them leaving her yeah remember uh-huh. at school then she whines about the dog then she whines about uh, Paul getting grounded. She's um, just a crybaby. Yeah, and then she spilled something on her. She's like, I have to call you back. Uh-huh. Then she goes out to the little, I guess, little shack with a washer and dryer. The phone's ringing, and she's like, Lindsay. Yeah, and, like, she's just constantly whining about something. And see, and the thing that really caught my attention about that, when she goes in for the first time, she goes into that, that, that shed. Mm-hmm. She has to bang on the door to get it to open. Like right. it's stuck. So she goes in. She gets stuck. Lindsay answers the phone, so she goes out to get her. Lindsay just opens the door, no problem. Mm-hmm. It was just like you locked yourself in here, and I was like, "No, what about the little bang on the top of it?" You know, right? It was just like, "Why did this little girl? Why was she so easy to get into the the shed than than Annie was?" 
before we get to the Annie death, uh, uh, Lori and Tommy are watching a horror movie. Yep. And Lindsay's watched one. Did you notice what they were? Uh, I think it was The Thing, wasn't it? It was a 1951 The Thing from outer, from from another world. And they were watching uh, a 1956 movie, Forbidden Planet, which influenced John Carpenter to do his next movie, the 1982 version, The Thing. Oh, okay. So I thought that was pretty cool that they yeah, threw that in there. That is cool. But back to Annie's death, uh, she goes to unlock the car, or, or open the car, and the car door's locked. Mm-hmm. She goes back in the house, comes back out, and then that's what kills me. She's got the keys in her hand. And she opens the door. And she just opens the door instead of even trying to unlock it. And then she, said, then she realizes, wait a minute, mm-hmm. something ain't right. And that's when Mike pops. Yeah, and this just blew my mind. And me and Randy was talking about this earlier. Uh, I never noticed Michael cutting her throat. Yeah. He, I always thought he choked her to death. Yeah, it, it, it was to me it was really weird because you think of Michael Myers, you think big, you know, chef, butcher knife, and I'm stabbing somebody. And his first kill that it shows was him strangling somebody and then just kind of nonchalantly slitting her throat. Right. It was really weird. And But I love the, like, you know, him just... It's him talking. Yes. It, that's It's yeah. his vocalization, I guess. Uh, but he, kill, he kills her. That's the first one. Bam. If you, well, if you want to count the dog, that's the first one. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Uh, I don't know why they have to kill dogs, but... We'll fast forward a little bit, and then... It, one of my favorite things is when all the kids, the ones that were picking on Tommy, show up to Michael Myers' house. They don't know Loomis is in the bushes. And they're like, go ahead, go on in. He goes up there and he's like, hey, yeah. Lonnie, get your ass away from there. Yeah. And Lonnie takes, I, I love that. And Loomis, but there's another scene. Watch Loomis after he says that and he scares him. That little just creepy smile he has. Until Bracket, of course, pops back in and scares yeah. Bracket, scaring people all through this movie. I'm telling you, he just pops up out of nowhere. It's like he has like three or four lines in the whole movie, and every one of them scares somebody. But yeah, but Loomis, you could, I don't think you could ask for a better uh, hero. I guess you could say. Oh man, it was it was like perfect. It was like it was like the guy that I know is the whole backstory of Michael Myers himself, and then ends up saving. You know, it's 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 great. So then. Uh, Bob and Linda finally show up mm-hmm. to where Annie was babysitting. Now, uh, Lori has Tommy and Lindsay with her. Yeah, because uh, according to Lori, what she was telling Linda is Annie went to go pick up Paul. Right. That's why Annie wasn't there. So, uh, you know, Bob and Linda are in there doing their thing. And, of course, he goes to get the beer. And then, boom, out of nowhere, Michael grabs Bob. We get the first stab. Yes. Picks him up. I mean, one-handed. Right hand. He got the knife. Bam. Right through, I mean, right through his, I guess it's his chest and pins him to the wall. Hard enough to pin him to like the cabinets or whatever it was behind him. And then we see the classic head tilting. Yeah. And that always was like, why is he doing that? Is he looking at his, does he consider that like artwork or is he yeah. just... I don't know, but that head tilt was always something really creepy but yeah. unique, you know. That's well, one thing that you can always like if you ever if you're ever talking to a dog, and you notice that a dog will tilt its ears or mm-hmm. tilt its head while it's perking its ears up, it almost makes us like he's trying to pay extra close attention to what he just did. Right. Because when a dog does that, I've always heard that they're trying to you know pick up what you're doing or what you're saying. Right. So it's almost like when he does that, he's he's trying to really comprehend what just happened. Well, 
So he kills Bob, puts a sheet and Bob's glasses over him, which is kind of comical. I mean, I, seriously. Yeah, and it's, it's another thing that goes back to what I was talking about, how it really made Michael Myers the, the ultimate scary guy for Halloween a uh, human thing because he had, like, the wherewithal to be like, hey, I'm going to try to trick her, you know. Right. He's not, I mean, he's got some intelligence. Yeah. But that's also another brilliance of... Uh, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Yeah. Because even though, yeah, when he opens the door, everybody that I've ever seen watch a movie with, when he opens the door and he sees it, they're like, ha, look. Yeah. But it's still creepy when he won't answer. And, of course, she does the famous, do you see anything you like? Uh-huh. You know, she gets off and it kills me because she gets off and she gets the phone she goes, I'm going to call Lori. This is going nowhere. And I'm like, well, it can't go any further than what you just did with a guy. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. You've already been there before. And here he come, bam, wraps the cord around her neck. And Lori's hearing all this, but she thinks that she's just, you know, moaning because of sex and all that. Yeah. Chokes, uh, why do I always forget her Linda. name? Linda chokes her, kills her, and then that creepy where it's finally for the first time he picks up the other line and, yeah. you know, that shock. Breathing and talking to her all the yeah. time. Yeah, and then she just hangs up. So now we get to pretty much the final act of the movie where she goes over to the house and... All the lights are out. She goes upstairs and she sees Annie scrawled out on the bed with the big Judith uh, Myers tombstone behind her. Nine by nine, five million pound stone. She starts screaming and you can clear, uh, that's where I finally, you can clearly see that Annie's throat's cut. Yeah. She bumps into the, I guess a wall or a closet or something. It was a cabinet. Was it? That Linda was stuffed in. Yeah, but before that, she bumped oh, into door, something, and the, the, the boy swung. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, so Bob comes swinging, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Linda's uh, her dead body's in that cabinet, bunched up in the cabinet. Right, folded her in half like an accordion. And then the classic creepy. She goes in the hallway and she's crying, and all of a sudden you hear Donna, and yeah. his face appears from the darkness. That is awesome. Yeah, like, that's what makes Michael Myers creepy right there. Well, to me, it's it's almost like it looked like a picture. Mm-hmm. Like it just looked like a dark picture with a frame around it because it was a door frame. Right. And it had that dark silhouette, and then it's just like the half of his face. It's like if you like a lot of the pictures you see of Michael Myers on T-shirts and and stuff like that. Now it's just that one side of his face. Right. And it's almost like that's where they got it from mm-hmm. because of that one little shot. And and during that whole scene, it, it kind of solidifies Jamie Lee Curtis as the Scream Queen. Yes. Because it was just like, this is just a, that, a blood-curdling teenage yanks. Just when scream. he comes out and cuts her yeah, arm. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis is the scream queen. She's got to be. And I mean, even though I've seen this movie a hundred times, when she's running away from him and she's just screaming, oh, God, help me. Yeah. Like, I get chills. And you know, you just get antsy. You're like, but leading to that, uh, she fall, when he cuts her, she falls down the steps. The music, done. Dun dun! I love that. It's my favorite chase music. You know, she takes off, and of course, she locks him uh, into. She locks herself in, I guess, a laundry room. Yeah. And what kills me is she waits till he gets the door open. Then she's like, "Okay, now I'll break the glass and gets out." Yeah. She well, takes that was, the, that was the kitchen. Oh, was it the kitchen? Yeah, it I'm was sorry. in the kitchen. And that was another the thing I thought about it is I don't know if it was just a thing back in the seventies, but those doors were really thin. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, and I know this is Michael Myers we're talking about here. But, <laughs> It just seemed like when he busted through there, it almost looked like that door was made out of paper mache. Right. Because it was just in it. I mean, it could have been some kind of prop or whatever, but it didn't look like that door was very sturdy to begin with. Um, 
so we go to that and uh see he comes around the corner she busts the thing she takes off no no neighbors will help her it was the least helpful neighborhood i've ever heard of in my life <laughs> they flicked the light on look nope click and you could i guess you could really chalk it up to it being halloween and the season of pranks and all this kind of stuff and maybe that's kind of what the uh, people were thinking was that it's Halloween, kids are going to be making their pranks and doing all this kind of stuff, so, you know, I'm not wasting my time. Right. But, yeah, and that's one of the things that I noticed was the the little help that she got screaming in a fully, like, furnished neighborhood. This isn't like, you know, I'm four miles outside of town and my nearest neighbor's three miles away from me type thing. These, like, people are 15 feet away from every house. And what gets me is the whole movie, not the whole movie, the third act, Tommy G. Boogeyman's outside of Boogeyman's yeah. And then she's banging on the door. Tommy, let me in. And he's like, who is it? Yeah, okay, I'll be right there. And I'm like, dude, you're the one flipping out, tripping about the yeah. boogeyman. But what? again, she gets inside, tells him to get upstairs. D- did you notice, though, whenever she came into the house to begin with, mm-hmm. in the very back, like right on the uh, other other side of the room, the window was already open. Yes, and the, the the curtain was just kind of flowing. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that as soon as she walked in, I was like, that window's open. You know, why is that window open? That window wasn't open earlier. You know, Maybe they got hot. They may have. I don't know. But, yeah, so Tommy runs upstairs. She locks the uh, door. And uh, I don't know why she got on the other side of the couch. But she saw but she saw the window being open. Yeah. Dude, he comes up over that couch and tries to go at her. And she's got that big old knitting needle right in the neck. And I love it. He takes it out and he looks at it. He's like, hmm. And he just falls. Yeah. He's like, he saw his blood. He passed out. You know? I don't, it, it's kind of one of those things like it It kind of contradicts the human side that you see from Jason or from Michael Myers in the, earlier in the movie where he seems like just this normal human guy with a mask on. And then all of a sudden now he's getting the crap beat out of him and he can take everything. So it, it kind of just solidifies, like, hey, yeah, he's a guy, but he's tough as nails. Well, Dr. Loomis did the whole thing saying, this isn't a man, it's evil. Right, right. So he's he's starting to show it now. Yeah. Uh, Get upstairs after, she, you know, she got him in the neck. Mm-hmm. And I love when she's talking to him, and he's like, you can't kill the boogeyman. The whole time he's t- she's on her knees talking to the, the children, you can see his shadow coming up the steps. Yeah. And, of course, it leads to the greatest scene is where she's in the uh, closet. Yeah. And he's busting the door. Yes, and her she her acting in that scene. I mean, it was legit. Like it, I don't know. She tried to open the bay door or the the door off the balcony. I mean, to make it look like maybe she got out. Right, right. But the scene where I love when he busts through with his arms and he turn he turns the light on, but then the light starts flickering. That's what made it even. And seeing it, well, you could tell me that they told Jamie Lee Curtis to sit in the closet, and we're not going to tell you what's going to happen. And then I just want you to react to what's fixing to happen. Right. You could have told me that that's how that whole scene was filmed, and I believe it because her whimpering was almost genuine. Mm-hmm. Like it literally seemed like she was a little bit freaked out. And again, it goes back to she's a strong female role. Right. She, you know, hey, okay, I'm trapped in a closet. He's fixing to get me. There's a hanger. No, I'm grabbing. That's one of wire hangers too, buddy. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know where she got him the first time, but she got him enough to distract him. He drops the knife. I think she got him in the in the face. Is that where she got? Him? I think she got him in the eye. Well, then she got the knife, stabs him, and I'm, it looked like more in the, I guess the gut area yeah, maybe. Yeah. And he falls out, but the one mistake she made. She dropped she, the knife. Yeah. 
she gets out. Uh, of course, she you know tells the kids to get up. She thinks he's dead now. And she tells the uh, kids, I want y'all to go down the street to the McKenzie's or whatever really house. Did. And she's like, uh, go get help. Mm-hmm. They take off at Dr. Loomis. Now, but we did skip that part. Dr. Loomis did realize that the, he's in town. Yeah. They run out of the house and they just happen to cross Dr. Loomis. Comes the famous sit-up. And I like it because no music hits. It was almost like poetic in the sense of it's just them two and now he's back alive and she's not paying any kind of attention to it. Right. And the music don't hit till he turns his head and looks at her. Right. That's what I like. It's just he raises up, everything's calm, but as soon as that head turns and acknowledges her, it's then on. it's done. Uh-huh. You know, there it goes. She gets up, he's behind her, and he comes out of nowhere, grabs her, he's starting to choke her. She rips the mask off. So we finally get to see Dr. Loomis's face. Now, this is not the Michael's same. Face. Or Michael, I'm yeah. sorry. This is not the same Michael Myers. Nick Castle is the one to play the shape. He's played yeah. Michael through the whole thing. This was an actual, I think the guy's name is uh, Tony Morgan, I believe. I think so. Which, which I've met him, yes, I will brag on that. And that dropping. <laughs> cool dude. But, uh, that was he was used for that uh, part right there for the face. Dr. Loomis shoots him. I, th- I believe it's six times. I believe uh, so. He, he unloads and he had a revolver. So. Yeah. Shoots Michael Myers uh, off the balcony. And I love the last line. She looks and she goes, it was it was the boogeyman. And he says, as a matter of fact, it was. It was. Yeah. And I love that. Because like I said, there's another creepy little... Dr. Loomis line, you know? And it doesn't even have that, like, that deep... Like, you, you think those those one-liners or something like that, to have that power behind it, it would have to have that deep, you know, sinister-sounding voice. And he really does it. He, right. He's got a really kind of a soft-spoken voice. He's got a pawpaw voice. Yeah, he really, yeah, he really <laughs> does. It's like somebody's grandpa, and he's, they're just sitting, here, just sitting there talking. But it's, it's just really weird how impactful he can make it in an intense moment like that mm-hmm. with that type of voice. So he shoots him. They say their lines together or to, to each other and he walks off and I love it. Long shot, he's gone. And the dun, 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 dun. he cuts into Lori, she's sitting there crying and then that blank look that, my, or that Loomis just kind of gives the camera. Like, oh hell, here we go. He couldn't do it. I love, because it starts showing all the places that we've seen throughout the movie, and you just hear Michael's breathing. So you know he's out there now. And I I mean, it's just, and then the last shot it shows of the entire movie, while you can hear his breathing, is the Myers house. Yeah. And then cut to black, and it just says Halloween. Yeah. So, I mean, bravo. That's still, it's still one of those classic movies that you can sit down, and there's not nothing boring in it. Yeah. See, and and I don't know if... John Carpenter had planned on doing multiple movies no, after this he one. Didn't. But it's it's kind of it's kind of fitting that he ended it in a way where if he wanted to he could mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not how it turned out cuz you know I know a lot of directors just sit there and say well if you know if this movie does good maybe we'll do another one or maybe we'll do it. And it's really hard if you do do a great first movie. It's right. really hard to top it. But leaving that open ending to it and making it possible is always a great way of going, well, if it does do good, then you know we'll do this. And whether or not he knew that he was going to do it or not, I think he ended the first one perfect. Yes. Yes. The Like I said, the entire movie still lives up. Uh, 
So I guess we it's time to rate it now. Uh, what do you do? Five? Uh, how do you want to do it on a five star rating or a ten star? I think a five star rating would be pretty good. Five star. Okay. So what would you give the movie? If 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 I'm going back and I'm trying to rate this during the time it was released, mm. if I go back to 1978, I think of the time that it was released, I would probably give it about four stars. Okay. Just because there were some parts in it, kind of like you were saying, it was a low budget film. Right. And um, you know, you really have to look at other movies that were released kind of around the same time to get the the quality of it. You know, because you know today's age, you can look at a movie and say, well, that's a B rated movie or something right. like that. It's really easy to do. It's kind of hard to do when you're looking at a movie that's so old. Um, if I'm looking at it from a standpoint now, I'm giving it five stars because it's right. You know, it's the beginning of a you know complete genre from John Carpenter. You know. But if if I was trying to pick it up in the the nineteen seventy eight, I'd probably give it the the four four and a half. But now watching it, I would give it a five. Okay, well I'm going to rate it as a five, five out of five. I mean I just music, characters, uh, everything, storyline, dug it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and for it being such a small budget, for it to become the phenomenon that it has. You know, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, and it, it still lives up to this day. And it's amazing how much they, how much story they actually got into it with such a little cast. Exactly. Like, and they didn't exactly. have a whole lot of actors in that movie. Like, they, there was a lot of extras and stuff like that, but as far as predominant actors, there weren't, mm -hmm. there wasn't very many. Well, that's pretty much our first episode of, like I said, uh, Small Town Horror. And uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and for listening to us. Uh, the next time we will be doing an episode, it's going to actually be Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween remake. Uh, we, we decided to go ahead and do this one because, or Rob Zombie's, because we're wanting to kind of compare the two together, which isn't really fair on some levels, but... Yeah, you got to think of how, what they had to work with. Right. You know, and of course, Rob Zombie's going to have a whole lot more to work with as far as funding, casting, and, right. you know, and just effects as right. it is now. But it's really kind of cool to see the origin of John Carpenter's Halloween and mm -hmm. then the origin of Rob Zombie's. Right. How, how the two differ, how they are similar, you know. Well, like I said, uh, that's going to be our next podcast will be Rob Zombie's Halloween. Um Right now, I'm not sure exactly if I'm going to do this weekly or every other week, but there is going to be plenty more to come on this podcast. Tell your friends about us. Uh, you can find us on Spotify. Uh, just uh, search Small Town Horror Podcast with uh, the host, Johnny Reyes. And like I said, Randy will be joining me a lot. And I've got a couple other friends that may join. My daughters even want to do it because they love horror movies. You've, but uh, You've ruined them. <laughs> but, uh we really appreciate you tuning in and listening, and we hope you enjoyed the first episode of uh, this podcast. And until next time, this is Johnny Reyes. Randy Howard. And we are signing off, so uh, thank you, and I hope you all enjoyed. Stay spooky.